welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Song of Solomon chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Song of Solomon chapter 2. Those of you who are familiar with scripture, familiar with Song of Solomon, you're thinking, all right, here we go. I know what we're going. I know what this is all about this morning. Before we get there, let me just say, um, next week we're going to start a series that we're calling Pillars. And um, we're going to be looking at the five-fold ministry gifts of the church that are written out there in Ephesians chapter 4. And I am so excited about this. I really am. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to, to teach us something. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to engage in us in a way to equip us to do great things for the kingdom. And so make sure you come back. Um, uh, this is just something that's really been on my heart for a while. And, um, and I'm super excited about it. So that starts next week. That's going to be going on for five weeks. But today... We're going to finish up our At the Movies series here in the book of Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Before we get started here this morning, I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. Um, In in the book of Song of Solomon and where we're going, um, we're going to be addressing some mature themes. So if you have younger kids, uh, North Shore kids age, and um, you don't want them to be in here for this discussion on sex and some of those things, then you can can, uh, go ahead and, and slip out and take them into North Shore kids at this time. I promise you that we aren't going to be graphic or vulgar in any way, but there are some discussions and there are some parts of scripture that the reality is that they deal with some very mature, very adult content. Um, the other day, a couple Wednesday nights ago, we were driving to church on a Wednesday night and there in the van, Abram, my oldest, was sitting right behind us and so he gets to engage in conversation with mom and dad a little bit more than some of the others do because he's right there close um we're driving and he said hey dad um did you know well i read in the bible and did you know that lot had kids with his daughters and um i said yeah bud i knew that and 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 he just kind of was pondering it and i said what do you think about that he says i don't know and, uh, and I said, it's too bad, isn't it? And he said, why is it too bad? I said, well, because it's sin. And he said, why is it sin? And what happened was I kind of painted myself into a corner because I haven't had that talk with him yet. <clears throat> and I said, well, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, dads, you know, I, I stumbled through things. I said, dads aren't supposed to have kids with their daughters. And he said, Why? Well, because when the stork comes, you know, I don't know. I said, buddy, look, we'll talk about this later. I'm going to talk to you about it in private. We're going to have a conversation. And so, um, and we have that plan. Before he goes back to school, we're going to have the conversation. Um, We're going to have the talk. Uh, And again, that's just a good barometer to to have that talk. If you you haven't had that talk with a son or a daughter and they're getting that age, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, around there, before they go back to school is a good time to maybe sit down with them and have a talk with them, to talk about sex. Uh, You want them to hear things from you, mom and dad, before they hear it from anywhere else. And that was our fear. Like, we were always afraid that he was going to, you know, have a friend on the playground with a phone, and they're going to show him videos or something like that. And, I mean, he's going to be exposed to all of that. Like, he gets exposed to that stuff in Scripture. And I'm like, man, we got to tell him to stop reading that Bible. I mean, it's just... (laughs) But, uh, 
But yeah, if, if you've never had that conversation with your child, have that conversation. The last two years, we've done a video on a Wednesday night. Um, it's, it's from a children's pastor in Arkansas. It's fantastically done. It's called How to Talk to Your Kids About Sex. And we don't have it scheduled to do that, but maybe we can, maybe we can post that link for you on Facebook. If, you, if, you're, if you're having a difficult time knowing how to have this conversation with your child, um, we will put that out for you. We'll put that link there. You can click on it, watch it. It's some great tips and some great tools on how to have that conversation. So this morning, we're going to be talking a little bit about sex. Um, I know that sometimes this makes us blush, but I really think the only reason why this does is because we're talking about it in church, right? When we, when we see it or when we talk about it in, in videos or movies, you know, it's just kind of the norm. It's just always there. You can't get away from that part of it when it comes to media. But it seems a little bit strange to talk about it in church. There are some of you who have never heard a message in a church on sex, so this might seem a little bit weird. I will tell you, um, I, I've spoken on this a couple of times, not too many, but this is one of my least favorite topics to speak on, right? Just, I don't like doing it. I'm enough of a square to be uncomfortable when we start talking about this stuff too, so uh, you're awkward, I'm awkward, we're just going to be awkward together, right on? Fair enough? But we are going to do this. Um, and I know that we have to talk about this, we have to address this topic because it is so a part of our culture. Um, it'd be almost impossible to do an at the movie series, to talk about the media and the movies without at least addressing this because it's in every movie, right? It's in every video, it's in everything that we see. This is such a part of our culture today, especially as it relates to media. So there was a movie that came out a little over a year ago called Fifty Shades of Grey. And um, <clears throat> you guys all know what it is. Uh, it's not like you're hearing this for the first time. It was like this phenomenon that came out and, and everybody was making a big deal out of this and, and it really had an impact. And so what we have been doing here in our At The Movie series is we're looking at some of the popular movies that we've seen over the last, or not we've actually seen, but that have come out over the last couple of years. And we're, we're trying to look to see where their messages line up with Scripture and where they, they deviate from Scripture. And um, so again, like I've said, full disclosure, I've not watched this movie, um, but we don't have to always watch them to know kind of what's in them. Uh, so Fifty Shades of Grey was kind of a strange thing. Uh, it swept across the country first with a series of erotic books. Essentially, it was pornography without pictures um, in, in these books that were written. And, and after the books were, were written, they made uh, a highly anticipated movie. And it seemed that lots of people were excited for this movie to come out. Uh, the storyline features a highly successful, highly attractive older man who was raised by a mother who was a prostitute. And this, this man, when he was a 15-year-old child, was systematically and sexually abused by somebody else. And so that being a part of his background with this systematic and sexual ongoing abuse that he experienced, apparently in this world that they've created, um, turned him into some sort of uh, just a sex god 
who uh, was just this perfect, amazing, hot lover and was making women all over the country just swoon and um, wishing or fantasizing that they had somebody like this man in their life. It was weird. In this story, our hero, if you want to call him that, introduces a young, naive, innocent girl into his world of perversion, masochism, abuse, manipulation, and lust. And the lie that sets the foundation of this movie, and it's a lie that we have to address, and it's a lie that it's important for us to expose, is that great sex is rooted in animalistic, dominating, lustful passion. And movies like Fifty Shades of Grey and many others, they, they do this same thing. And they, there's this message that they keep pushing over and over and over again. It's lust over love, and it's this selfish self-gratifying urge and animal response over what God has designed sex to be. And so what we want to do is, again, look to see where these messages line up and where they contradict. So first of all, let's see where this movie lines up with Scripture. And so this may be a little bit of a stretch, um, <clears throat> but we're going to, to identify some of the places where they they come together they coincide here so 50 shades of gray was a movie completely about sex and god was the one who created sex so we have that right so there's that um so uh, again the the message that they give in in like a movie like this is that um sex is pleasurable satisfying and fun and the reality is that God, who created sex, created sex in a way to be pleasurable, satisfying, exciting, and fun. So there's that as well. However, God, who again created sex, um, I've heard people say like it, it wasn't like an accident that God like walked onto mankind and was like, what are you doing? You know, like this is God's design. God created this. God did this on purpose. God, who created sex has placed some parameters on it. He's placed some boundaries on it. And if you're a believer here this morning, or if you're an unbeliever here this morning, when you enjoy any of God's gifts, which this is a gift that God gives, if you enjoy any of God's gifts, um, if you enjoy them under the proper guidelines that he has established, that he gave, it will always be for your benefit. Always. So God gives a gift, okay, and then he gives the rules. He says, he says, this is a gift. I want you to enjoy this gift, but I want you to enjoy this gift under the umbrella, under the parameters, under the boundaries of the rules that I set. And if we, as believers or even unbelievers, this is, this is true because this is the way that God has created his divine law. If we as believers or unbelievers enjoy his gifts underneath the rules that he has established, it will always be better for us. Always. So before we talk about sex, let's talk about the biblical parameters. Let's talk about the boundaries. God designed sex to occur and to be enjoyed between a married couple. Thank you, two of you that would say amen. Just because we're talking about sex doesn't mean that you can't, amen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, just because it's uncomfortable and awkward for all of you, I'm going to say this again, and I'm going to give you a great opportunity to say amen, preach your brother, and, and hoot and holler for me. So let's just back up a little bit. 
God designed sex to occur and to be enjoyed between a married couple. There you go. That's good. It's pretty simple. Now listen, it's not this, this thought, this statement isn't outdated. It's not antiquated. And it's not old thinking. This is biblical thinking. God created and established sex to be enjoyed between a married couple. This is biblical thinking. The boundary which God places around sex is marriage. God says, this is a gift to be enjoyed. I want you to enjoy this. Have fun. Like, do your thing. But enjoy that within the boundaries of marriage. Right? Very few outside the church and even it's becoming to be less and less inside the church, stay within that boundary, okay? This is God's law. It's still active today. We just sang a little bit ago um, in worship, you stay the same through the ages, right? God has established this precept. He's established this boundary. He's established this law. He's not looking at it and being like, you know, it's 2016. Let's adjust this a little bit. Let's update this. That's not at all what God is doing. It is a divine law that he has established. The boundary around sex is marriage. Currently, it seems that we as a Christian culture are losing the fight on the biblical definition of marriage. And we know that it's political and all that stuff, and there's a whole lot of other things going on, but there's a real spiritual element to this as well. The Bible clearly defines marriage as between one man and one woman, but, but that isn't where we're going to focus our attention this morning. As I was thinking about this, I was wondering, um, I wonder if Christians would honor the biblical parameters of sex, we wouldn't be losing the battle for biblical definition of marriage. I, I, I wonder if sometimes we spend too much time fighting for the biblical definition of marriage and too much time ignoring the biblical boundaries of sex. And I think that because we are doing that, it's costing us our testimony. It's costing us our moral authority. It's costing us the high ground in having a discussion on these things because we're picking and choosing whatever we want to do and not taking a real stand on this. Um, not surrendering this part of our lives or surrendering this part of our desires to the biblical standards of God. And so sex outside of marriage, which would be sex with somebody that you're not married to or, or sex with somebody who's married to somebody else or, or, or sex with your girlfriend and you're not married, sex outside of marriage is called adultery, okay? Just all of it, it's called adultery. We, we like to water it down by calling it hookups or meetups or anything else that doesn't make us feel so bad, but the reality is it's called adultery. That's what the Bible identifies it as. And, and sex outside of marriage, which is adultery, is in today's culture not just tolerated anymore, it's fully expected and even encouraged. And we, and we run into this even now. People who call themselves Christians are encouraging other people who call themselves Christians to live together before they get married to see if they are compatible in every area of life, to see if they're compatible in, in the way they communicate, but also to see if they're compatible in the bedroom. And, and they justify it by saying things like this. After all, you wouldn't buy a car without test driving it first, would you? And we understand what they're saying. I mean, I, I mean we're not stupid. We, we, we understand why they're saying what they're saying. But listen, if you're in this place and you're thinking about getting married or you're engaged or you want to be married someday, I want to tell you if you're a man, 
She is not a car, okay? She's just, she's just not. Uh, she's, there's a lot of differences about her uh, than a car. In, in fact, with a car, you usually get a manual. With her, you, you, good luck, okay? okay? It's different. It's different. Also, if you go into marriage or you go into relationships with that thinking, that thinking completely dishonors God. It wholly disrespects her. And if you go into it with that attitude, chances are you're going to trade her in for a newer model at some point down the road. We wonder why, you know, divorce is so high. Well, I mean, you, you, you thought you were purchasing a car, you know. I, of course the divorce is going to be high. And so here's where this disconnect lies in, in regard to sex that, that I see. Many people think, and in the media and in movies portray that things like that 50 shades kind of sex is hot, awesome, passionate, and fun, and married sex is dull, fast, and partially clothed. That seems to be the disconnect, right? That seems to be where the problem is. There's a cover of New, Newsweek magazine in 2003, and, and the, title, the, the cover title said this, No sex, please, we're married, right? We just don't have time for it. And, and I know that this was an extremely long intro to say that when we're talking about the gift of sex this morning, we're going to look at it through the filter of Scripture and through the boundaries of marriage, okay? So, so when we give some of these scriptural examples of some of the things to do to maybe enhance or, or to help or to bring this to greater fulfillment, this is not something, when we talk about the practical application of Scripture, this isn't something that you can apply to your dating relationship or apply to your engagement or apply to your affair so that God will further bless this aspect of your life. God will not bless adultery. He just won't, okay? God won't bless adultery. So when we're talking about sex this morning, understand that if you come in with a, with a viewpoint or a filter that's different than Scripture, we're going to look at it through a scriptural lens, okay? So the only sex that we believe that God will bless and smile on is sex between a husband and his wife. That's it. Pretty simple. So... We got the social commentary and the backdrop, the backdrop set. Let's look at Song of Solomon chapter 2. We're going to read some verses here in Song of Solomon chapter 2, but to fully understand what's going on, we have to understand the structure of this book. Uh, there are some who believe that the Song of Solomon book was written in chronological order. That's it's a series of love letters, kind of back and forth as, as sort of spiritual, or not spiritual, but sexual heat and sexual intimacy is, is sort of being talked about, and, and they're, they're kind of ready, and they're anticipating these things, and then their marriage is consummated in chapter 4 or 5. Um, there are some who think that. I don't. Uh, there are others who think that maybe it's a series of flashbacks and, and sort of just these random snippets of events and encounters that this husband and wife have. I think that as we look at it, it, it looks more like a series of flashbacks and these, these encounters that they're giving us us some uh, really advice on how we as Christian married couples should view sex and intimacy. In this, we get a glimpse of, of these things and the joy, the intimacy, and the relationship of a married couple. Since this book is so poetic in the nature of it, at times it can be difficult to fully understand what's being said, and uh, we really have to look 
in depth. It's a book full of sexual references that are cloaked in symbolism. Uh, and, and the cool thing about this is in, in just the awesome nature of who God is and how he cares for us as individuals is that it's written in a way that a, a child, a kid, could pick it up and read through it and, and not really see and know and understand what's going on. They wouldn't take any offense or they wouldn't be like damaged or exposed to anything. But at the same time, a husband and wife could understand the terminology and in this, if they're looking and if they're being led by the Holy Spirit, find some real specific sexual instruction. There's a book that, that's been written uh, several years ago called Intimacy Ignited. If you are looking to see what scripture says about sex, um, check out this book, Intimacy Ignited. It's a book on, it's a study of Song of Solomon, and it is in-depth, and it is really eye-opening, and you will find that there is so much more written about sex in Scripture than what you ever realized, and God really has your best in mind when he uh, uh, put this in place in Scripture. They say this about the book, um, in that book, Intimacy Ignited, they say this about the book of Song of Solomon. They say it's a book on sex that is specific yet poetic, Frank, yet innocent, simple, yet profound, confusing, yet straightforward. And if you've ever done any sort of a study on Song of Solomon, it is absolutely all of those things. And so let's look at this real quick. We're going to go through this and see what God says about this. Here we go. Chapter 2, verse 7 is where we're going to start. It says this, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the dogs of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Now, this is something that you have to see and that you're going to notice all throughout the book of Song of Solomon, if you read it, is that they will constantly come back to this one line, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Oftentimes, before they start talking about a specific encounter between husband and wife here, they will give this sort of disclaimer. Their disclaimer is a lot shorter than mine is, but it's a disclaimer nonetheless. It says, don't awaken love until it pleases. It's saying that love making and sex must operate within the boundaries of marriage. And so if you're reading this and you're unmarried, or if you're reading this and you're just engaged, what scripture is saying is wait, because there is a boundary that God has placed over this to be enjoyed in the appropriate fashion. So do not awaken love until it's time. As a youth pastor, there was oftentimes that we would have conversations with kids and they would ask like, hey, we're dating, like what's the boundary? Like, what's, what, what can I get away with? What can we do? Can we kiss? I mean, tongue, no tongue, all of that stuff. And we're having these conversations. And so a lot of times, like youth pastors will say sort of, you know, some of the, the pat answers of like, okay, listen, don't touch any places that are bikini covers and, and things like that. You know, when you're sitting watching a movie, make sure um, both feet are on the ground because once you start laying on the couch or lounging, bad things happen. Uh, get rid of the blankets and stuff like that. And we had all these rules set up at our house when we were the youth pastors and kids came over and there was one time um, you know we were doing we were doing some things we were kind of back and forth uh, downstairs and upstairs and we walked I walked downstairs and I walked downstairs with another uh, youth he was a youth kid at the time and um, and there was a, a couple that was sitting over there uh, on the couch and they had just pulled a blanket on them he marched right over there he grabbed the blanket and ripped it off of him he said no blankets in the Johnson house and so we we're like hey okay something's working <clears throat> and, um, and so we have all those things we have all those standards and set up and um um, but scripture says it this way. Scripture says, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. 
And so it doesn't give any of those specific things. It just says, hey, look, if you are beginning to stir some of those things up, then stop until it's appropriate. And so that applies to kids, teenagers, and all that stuff, but it also applies to adults. Like if you're stirring up love, if you're stirring up sexual thoughts or fantasies in a way that is not going to be able to live to be lived out within the confines of marriage, then stop, Scripture says. Don't stir it up until it pleases. Don't stir it up until it's appropriate. And what Scripture is saying is that there are times when it is very appropriate, and there are times when it's not. So don't stir it up until Scripture or until it pleases, until it's being able to live within the boundaries that God has established. So that's the, that's the caveat, that's the warning. And then Solomon's wife begins to speak. She has this inner monologue. And so she's thinking to herself in verse 8. This is what she says to herself. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. It seems as though these two, they have been separated for a period of time. Uh, Solomon was out, you know, doing stuff. And so he was gone for a while. And her husband and, and her lover is coming back. And she's excited about this. She's She's ready to see him. He's ready to see her. There's much effort in this journey, and there's much anticipation in this, in this opportunity to reconnect. Verse 9, she says, My beloved is like a, a gazelle or a young stag. Um, behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. Again, this kind of language is meant to evoke image of beauty and form. She's like, look at him. He's a stud. He's all glistening with sweat and everything. And she's kind of like thinking, that's my man, and he's looking good sort of thing is, is what she's saying. And then she says, there he is. He's coming, and he's, he's peeking on me through the window. Like he's, he's gazing at me. He's, he's looking at me through the window. Verse 10. She says, my beloved speaks and says to me. And so it switches from her inner monologue to her telling us what Solomon has, her husband, okay, this is important. She's, she's saying what Solomon, her husband, is saying to her through her bedroom window. He's basically like, I'm back. And then he says this. He says, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away with me. Now, there are some of you that don't understand poetry very well. I don't either. I had to read things to somebody tell me what this meant. And so essentially, this is what he's saying, okay? Saying, arise, my love. Some translations say, arise, my darling. But that word love, that word darling, is really comes from a Hebrew, a Hebrew word, which is dod, D-O-D. And that Hebrew word in its translation actually means lover, okay? So he's saying, arise, my love, arise, my darling, arise, my lover. And this word dod has, has very clear sexual connotations to it. It's not just um, my love and like something sort of like platonic, but, but it has very real sexual connotations and implications to it. And so he's saying, arise, my love, arise, my beautiful one, come away with me, right? He's talking about flowers and springtime and any sort of reference to springtime in literature usually means, you know, birth or life, you know, in those types of ways, um, He's talking about love and intimacy 
and the fig trees are ripening, and everything's ready, and it's warm, and the turtle doves are, are singing. Solomon is being very poetic here, but it doesn't take a Bible scholar really to understand what he's asking for, does it? Anybody? Okay, you don't know, so I'm going to tell you. <clears throat> okay, what he's asking for is sex with his wife. He's excited to see her. He's like, hey, baby, you know, come on. The springtime, the turtle doves, let's go. You know, and I don't know. Uh, Solomon's being all smooth and cool here. Uh, I don't know for sure, but I think it might be a little bit more effective in talking like this than saying, so are we going to do this or not? Like, what's up? Right? That this is what Solomon is, is saying. Like, he's, he's romancing her. He's being romantic. He's asking for, for this. And in this scripture, there's a very real... And if you're the one preaching it, very uncomfortable sense of building passion <laughs> and sexual energy that's growing. But it's wholly appropriate because, because they're married. It's fun, it's playful, it's growing, it's adventurous, it's flirtatious. It's everything that God has designed it to be within the context of marriage. So verse 14, Solomon goes on to say this. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock and the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Others' translations say, let me see your form. Okay? Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. What, what many believe that he's doing is he's inviting his wife on a vacation. He's, in, he's inviting her on a sexual retreat, a, a trip, a, 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 a camping vacation with the sole purpose of being alone and being together and connecting physically and intimately as husband and wife. I want to see your face. I want to see your form. I want to hear you whisper into my ear. That's what he's saying. Solomon, being the king and the son of the king, would have had access to vast amounts of lands where they could have gone and um, done this stuff and, and been very private and very excluded. He was inviting his wife to join him on a retreat for sexual purposes between husband and wife. And, and what a wonderful idea, right? I mean, what a, what a great idea. I mean, we don't be ashamed or afraid or embarrassed to invite your wife on a romantic getaway, Right? And let her know from the beginning, hey, look, I'm just letting you know, we're going on a romantic getaway. I expect romantic things to happen here, right? But this is wholly appropriate because they're married. There's a growing stigma and something that we need to confront and address and something that the media constantly portrays is that unmarried sex is awesome and married sex is boring. This isn't God's design. It's not what God has intended. It's not what God wants but I do want you to know something, that you are up against an enemy, and you are being attacked if you are married in the area of, in, in, in the area of your bedroom. If you're here and you're married this morning, I want you to know something. If you are married, Satan doesn't want you to have sex with your spouse. If you're married, Satan doesn't want you to have sex with your spouse. Scripture tells us to be mindful of the schemes of the enemy. This is one of the schemes of the enemy. He does not want you to have sex with your spouse. And if you do, he certainly doesn't want you to enjoy it. It plays right into his, the enemy's agenda, that the, the stigma of married sex is dull, boring, and partially clothed. There's a quote in the book from Every Man's Battle. And if you are a man, um, then you should read this book, Every Man's Battle. There's a quote in here. It says this. Satan will do everything he can to get you to have sex before you are married and everything he can to keep you from having sex after you're married. From all the couples that have come into my office that I've counseled, we've talked through this at length in many different areas and almost 
all the time. The, 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 it's consistent across the board. They'll say the sex was great until we got married. And it doesn't matter if they're saved or unsaved or this or that. It's always the same. The sex was great until we got married. That is an attack of the enemy, and that is completely counter to the design that God has for this gift that he's given uh, in marriage. And so let, let's keep going. Verse 15. This is what Solomon's wife says. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. So first we have to understand um, this, this idea of the vineyard. The, the vineyards are very fragile. Vines are fragile. They don't have the, the protective bark or coating around like the, the root system in the tree, like trees do. And so, so as vines are growing, it doesn't take much to destroy the root system. So a tiny little fox can go in, dig a little bit, and disrupt the root system and, and destroy the whole vineyard. It can be a little fox, a little dog, a little critter of some sort. And, and the vineyards are very, very fragile. And so you got to protect this fragile nature. And so what she is saying is, is, honey, look, I'm glad you're home. I'm ready to do this. I'm excited to see you too. But there are some things that are happening in our life or in our world that, that have the potential to destroy our love, that have the potential to destroy our passion, that have the potential to destroy our intimacy, and we need to pay attention to those. It seems as if God has implanted in women this early warning system, because it's usually the wife that sees this first. If there's something going on, if there's something off in the relationship, usually she can see it first, and she will bring it up. And, and this happens a lot of times. Like, she'll say, hey, I think maybe we need to go to counseling. And for months and weeks and sometimes years, the man will say, look, we don't need counseling. It's because she sees these little foxes that have the potential to destroy the vineyard, which is their love, their intimacy, and their sexual passion before he does. And I think that it's intentional that Scripture doesn't mention what the foxes are because if, if she would have said, hey, there's two little foxes of this and this, then we would have thought that those were the only two little foxes that exist. But the reality is that there are many little foxes that can get in the way of marital intimacy and our marriage relationship, isn't there? And so as, as we try to find this application point, let's, let's, let's just talk about maybe some little foxes that will disrupt um, this part of our relationship. And, and we're just talking about this part because this is the part we're talking about today. Um, and so some of the little foxes are this, kids, right? Kids can spoil the vineyard pretty fast, can't they? Kids can be a, a, a deterrent for the marriage intimacy. I'm not saying you shouldn't have kids. I'm just saying get a lock on your bedroom door and use it from time to time, right? Because kids can spoil this um, some of you let your kids sleep in bed with you at night and are frustrated at the lack of marital intimacy. Maybe you just need to take that little fox and put it in its own cage every now and then. <laughs> Look, we love kids, but come on. It's time. You got to go, right? Catch the fox. Sometimes chauffeuring your little foxes to all of their activities can spoil the vineyard as well. Work. The amount of hours that you work, your work schedule. Some of you are, are set up in a way that he works and she works. And the only time you see each other is when you pass each other in the hall, when he's getting ready, when you're going to sleep and all that stuff. And, and sometimes that can spoil the vineyards. Tension and stress and deadlines and duties can spoil the vineyard. Pay attention to those and catch those little foxes. Finances can be a big one. 
financial pressure, debt will often spoil the vineyard, right? If there's fighting and there's tension and there's, there's problems when it comes to finances, it can spoil every other part of the marriage relationship, including the part that happens in the bedroom. So catch those little foxes. The media is a big one. This fox you have to pay really close attention to. The media's portrayal of casual, free, fun, and painless adultery has completely altered our view of sex. And listen, when a believer starts to think that there's a better and more satisfying way to engage in sex than God's divine plan, that's a little fox and that's creating damage to your relationship. Secrets in your marriage is a little fox. If you have secrets, you have little foxes. You need to find them, you need to expose them, and you need to address it. Smartphones can be little foxes. Your vineyard might be a little healthier. Your relationship might be a little healthier if you're able to make eye contact from time to time when you have a conversation. Amen? Right? It just might work a little bit better. You might find yourself in more moments of intimacy if you're not scrolling through whatever or checking whatever when you're talking the whole time. Maybe it's time to put that down, catch that little fox, make eye contact from time to time. Pornography is a fox. Well, pornography isn't really a fox. Listen, pornography is more like a fire-breathing dragon that wants to completely destroy every piece of intimacy that you have with your spouse. But it's not just porn. It's not just like the hardcore stuff, like the really, really dirty places. It's, it's also movies. It's also television shows. It's, play, it's things like Fifty Shades of Grey. It's, it's TV shows like Game of Thrones that, that will spoil your vineyard. You know, I was reading an article uh, a while back, and it said that in, in some of the, the, the most graphic, hardcore pornography websites, that their viewership goes down when movies like, or shows like Game of Thrones comes on. Because it's feeding a different style of their sexual appetite. And, and let me tell you, these are foxes that are going to destroy your relationship and your marriage. Don't think that a little nudity doesn't hurt your marriage. You, you may be watching movies that are graphic that, that don't. Or you may be watching movies that just have a sex scene. It's just a little bit of nudity. Look, a little bit of nudity is going to damage your relationship as well. It just will. And you may be thinking, well, we're not hurting anybody. We're doing this together. It's no secrets. We're open in this and we're watching it together. It doesn't matter. You can't casually invite sin to be a part of your relationship and expect it to be effective. It just doesn't work. Pornography will destroy. Flirting. Look, if you're at work and you're flirting with somebody who's not your spouse, it's just casual. It's just fun. It's just innocent. There's nothing. Look, that is a little fox that will damage your relationship. There's all sorts of other things. Apathy, anger, shame, depression, grief. Worship team, please come. Catch the little foxes. Catch the little foxes. But I want you to see how this ends here. Um, and we're, we're almost out of time. But I want you to see how this ends. It ends in verse 16 and 17. She says, there's some things here that are going to destroy our romance, that are going to destroy our relationship. We need to address those. But then she closes in verse 16. She says this, and, and sort of put your adult cap on and see what she's saying here. She says, my beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. What she's saying is, she's saying like, look, we addressed the foxes. We've dealt with this stuff, and now we are embracing in marital and sexual intimacy. She's talking about the consummation of their love, and she's saying, look, when the little foxes are identified and dealt with, 
love and passion and romance flows more freely and more fully in our relationship. Again, the original problem we've been addressing, unmarried sex is awesome, married sex is boring. That is not God's design, not God's plan at all. God has planned it, he's designed it in a way for married sex to be fun, awesome, fulfilling, hot, passionate, and exciting, right? As we close this message in this series today, I wanna expand this out a little bit. Our media, movies, TV, and all that stuff is, is wonderful at presenting a sinful alternative to God's wonderful and, design, and divine plan for mankind. And it's not just in the area of sex. But in almost every area that, that we find ourselves in, the media will offer an alternative from what God's best plan for your life is. And because we are such consumers of this, we are, we're, we're such consumers of this, oftentimes we get confused in who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to think and how we're supposed to approach these things. And we start to wonder, maybe this alternative is better than what God's original design was. But listen, every single alternative that Satan offers will go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When he was there with Adam and Eve and he offered the fruit from the tree that God said stay away from. What's he's, what is he doing? He's offering an alternative. He's saying God's design and God's plan is this. But let me, let me ask you to consider this. Maybe God's way isn't the best way. Maybe God's plan isn't the best plan. Maybe God doesn't have your best interest in mind. Here, maybe you ought to consider this instead. And it's an alternative that the enemy offers, and he's doing everything he can to entice you to get you to take a bite. God's way. He's keeping something from you. God's way. It's not as fun. God's way. It's not as fulfilling. Don't you just try it? Just take a bite. You'll love it. You'll love it. He offers that alternative. And look, <clears throat> what this what this is, what, what scripture is, it's 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 God showing us that, that where we are and what we're living in and being in a society that is surrounded by sin, that the second that the second that Adam and Eve took a bite of that fruit, then then we basically forfeited God's perfect and appropriate plan for our life. And so what God had to do through Scripture, through Jesus, is He had to create boundaries so that we could survive, live, and thrive in a world that is riddled with sin. And so He's saying, all of these gifts, God says, I want you to enjoy, but you have to understand the boundaries because things changed when sin entered the world. You know that you were never created, you were never designed for this world. You were never designed to live in a world with sin. God created you for intimacy with Him. God created you for eternity with Him. That's why mankind was created, to have a relationship with God. But these things got altered and we're making bad choices and we're running away from God. But listen, we cannot be a people who strive so hard to fit in. We cannot be a people who work so hard to, to, to vet out the Sat Satan's alternatives that he offers. Look, Scripture tells us that we are peculiar people, 
that we are strange people, that we are foreigners, that we are aliens, that this is not what we were created for. We were created for eternity. So don't be surprised if you have different thoughts. Don't be surprised if you have different feelings. Don't be surprised if you have different attitudes. Don't be surprised if Satan and the whole world is saying, hey, this is a better alternative, and you're the only one standing over here saying, no, I'm going to follow God's plan. In this area of sex specifically today, and the world is offering you an alternative. Try it. It's good. It's fun. It's enticing. You'll love it. Let us be a people who will take a stand. We're singing about surrender. I surrender. Let us, let us surrender that piece of it. I'm going to follow God. This is what God says. This is what God does. And you know what? I'm going to have a blast in my marriage. We're going to be fulfilled. We're going to have passion. We're going to have energy. We're going to do some fun things. But I'm going to reject Satan's alternative. Stand to your feet all across this place. As we expand this out, I'm just going to pray for you and then we're going to be done. Those little foxes, they exist in every area of our lives. It's not just sex for married people. They exist in every area of our lives. That's one of the tools that the enemy uses. He takes something that seems to be cute, cuddly, and a little bit innocent, that doesn't seem to be scary or dangerous, and he puts that in there, he injects that in there in a way to create massive amounts of damage. And so if you're a married couple, in this area that we've been talking about today, talk about your foxes. Ask each other, what are our foxes? What are our little foxes that are destroying? But in the area of your health and your intimacy, your relationship with God, what are your little foxes that are destroying your relationship with God? What are the little foxes that are coming in at work that are disrupting your, your um, success, that are disrupting your ability to fully commit? Address those little foxes. We're going to close. Very simple. I'm just going to pray over you. Um, at the end here, know that we always have an altar team that's here. If Maybe one of those little foxes in your life has been keeping you from committing your life fully to Jesus. Maybe you haven't given your life to Jesus and you want to do that. Maybe there's some little foxes that you need to address. You need to come down and let us pray for you. We're going to be here at the end. Everybody else is leaving. We're just going to ask you to come down. Maybe you have a need. Maybe you and your spouse want to pray through some things together. Take this time to do that. So let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. If you're here with your husband or wife and they're sitting right there next to you, why don't you reach over and grab their hand, put your arm around them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. God, we thank you that you have given us scripture that speaks to all of these areas and all of these things that are sometimes easy to talk about, sometimes difficult. Lord, I pray for the Christian marriages in this place. I, I pray that their marriage would be strong. I pray that their family would be strong because we know, Lord, that without strong families and strong marriages, we're not gonna have a strong church. And so God, I pray that in relationship and in joy and laughter and in intimacy that you would strengthen the Christian marriages in this church and in this community. Father, I pray that there would just be a renewed sense of love and desire for one another. And God, in all of these things, let us be a people that are going to reject Satan's alternative. <clears throat> let us be a people that are going to commit to follow you and your ways. Father, I pray that in every other circumstance, in every other instance, there may be little foxes that are disrupting other areas of people's lives. I pray that you would be able to help them identify them, address them, and get rid of them. 
Father, bring us close to you. We love you. We're depending on your Holy Spirit, your strength, and your power in our lives. Bless us today. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. You're free to go. Be blessed.